Open your Bibles to Romans, I'm sorry, to Psalms 15. How many know it's a long ways from Psalms to Romans? Unless you've got a digital Bible, then it doesn't matter. Psalms 15. Today we're going to continue in our series, Happy Together. We're talking about relationships in life. The first week we talked about being a member of the family of God, what that means. And then the second week, we talked a little bit about marriage. Ann and I shared together. Last week, I started talking about friendship, and I shared some lessons I learned from Pastor Roger Brewer, our founding pastor. And today, I want to continue and finish up with some more thoughts about friendship. We're going to dive into that in just a moment in Psalms 15. But I want to go back to something that we shared last week that I think is vitally important, regardless what kind of relationship we're talking about. A healthy relationship is dependent upon me being the right person, not finding the right person. It's true in marriage. It's also true in any friendship, any relationship. It's dependent upon two people or more being the right people. So if I want to have good friendships, I need to learn how to be the right kind of person. And Here's what I've learned through the years, not just from reading God's Word, but from dealing with people. Godly people make the best friends. They just do for a lot of reasons. Now, that doesn't mean people who don't know Christ can't be your friends. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you really want to be a good friend, you need to understand what Scripture says about being a godly person. So we're going to dive into this today. Before we do, let's just bow our heads for a minute. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us by your Holy Spirit. So I ask in Jesus' name these next few moments that we could hear from you, that the things that you've dropped in my heart, I'll be able to share in such a way that it'll hit home with every person in this building. For I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. What would happen if every person made a determination in their own heart, I'm going to be the kind of person God wants me to be. I think what would happen is our friendships would start strengthening. I know our marriages would start strengthening. I know our relationships with God would become closer. If we simply had a determination that said, I'm going to be a godly person. Well, I was thinking about it this week and I was reading from Psalms 15. I've been looking at it for a couple weeks now. But Psalms 15 is an interesting psalm. There's just a few verses there, I think five verses. But it gives us some insight that I really want to dive into today. And and I want to begin with a question. This is before I get into my teaching. This is still my introduction. So this means this time doesn't work against my time, okay? So you give me extra minutes for this. Let me ask you a question. How does God choose his friends? The Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. How does God choose his friends? Now that's, have you ever had a pastor ask you that question? I've never heard anybody ask the question quite that way. How does God choose his friends? Look at Psalms 15. Something interesting here that the psalmist brings up. 15, Psalms 15, verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? And who may dwell in your holy hill? Now stop right there. Keep that verse on the screen because I want us to look at it for a moment. The psalmist one day in one of his psalms says, Lord, who gets to come hang out at your place? 
Isn't that what he asked? Come on, it's first service, I know, but most of you are. How many did not have your coffee this morning, okay? All right, six or seven. When service is over, coffee's right outside there. Lord, who gets to come hang out at your place? You know, we, we make these words so super spiritual sometimes that we just super spiritualize it and we never really get to the root of the question. Who may abide in your tabernacle? God, who gets to come over and hang out at your house? And who is at home or who, who are you at home with hanging out with? God, who do you like to hang out with? Have you ever thought about that? Well, God is everywhere and God hangs out with everybody. If you study scriptures real closely, not so much. God isn't involved with everybody to the extent he is with some people. How does God choose his friends? Okay, look at verse 2. Here's the answer. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Now, notice, notice that answer. He walks uprightly, he works righteousness, and he speaks the truth in his heart. Three interesting things. In essence, the psalmist said, God, who, who do you hang out with? Who gets invited over to your place? And God says, well, there's really three things I look at. His walk, his works, and his words. Now, if that's what God looks at, then maybe that's something I need to know about. See, some of us say, God, I, I wish you'd hang out with me more. And God says, you know, I'd love to, but sometimes your, your walk concerns me. Sometimes your works concern me. Sometimes your words concern me. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? We're going to look at this today, these three thoughts. Walk, works, and words. Number one, God says, I look at the way people walk through life. I notice their walk. When I start talking about this, a lot of things come to my mind. But here's what God says. I hang with people who walk uprightly. Uprightly. You know what that simply means? Uprightly in the original writings means they walk with integrity. God says, I like to hang with people who are people of integrity. One of the reasons why friendships struggle is because a lot of people don't have a lot of integrity. Nobody in this house, I'm talking about people who don't go to this church. They go to other churches probably. But God says, I love it. I love it when I look down and I see a guy who walks with integrity. You know, it's interesting. You hear so much said. There's so many opinions about the Bible and about people in the Bible. Did you know the scripture said of Job that God says in all he went through, he never lost his integrity? I know a lot of you don't like Job, but it doesn't matter what you think. This is what God said about him. He never lost his integrity. Never did. Never did. And God says, I love it when people walk in integrity. Now, let me dive into this a little bit more. When it talks about walking somewhere, I think part of what it says is he chooses right pathways. He chooses right, correct pathways. In other words, a man of integrity is able to distinguish a good path from a bad path. 
Everybody smile at me this morning for a minute here, okay? If we're talking about how people walk, then needless to say, we're also talking about the paths that they choose to walk. Because we choose. Every day of our life, we choose a path to walk. We can walk a path of integrity or we can walk a path of brokenness. And, and the word integrity in Scripture, it really means wholeness and completeness. I was talking with someone a few days ago, sharing stories. And I was telling a story of something that happened to me in my early ministry, oh, probably 35 years ago, when I was speaking to a group of teenagers in a youth group. And I was asking them the question, tell me the difference between the way your parents live and the way the neighbors live. They said, what do you mean? So I, I, you know, I just kept on, kept on, went through it like three times. And finally I said, look, your parents are believers. Their lives are shaped by God's word, or at least they should be. How do your parents live differently than the people next door to you or down the street who don't know God? How are their lifestyles different? And every one of them said, there's no difference between our parents and the neighbors. Now, let me tell you something. When our children don't know that we choose our paths well, that's a red flag. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm talking about church years ago. I'm not talking about any of you, okay? But my point is, we have to learn how to distinguish between good paths and bad paths. And we have to learn how to choose our paths and make a distinction between the two because the paths that we choose bring us to a place of wholeness and completeness or to a place of brokenness. Many years ago, I heard Jack Hayford tell a story. And he was talking about when he was a kid, his mom used to send him down to the corner grocery store. And she would say, go down to the grocery store and she'd make a little list of things and give him some cash. And said, one of the things he, she always had me get was lunch meat for our lunches to take to school. And he said, in the butcher case, there was this big, long thing of lunch meat. Big, long chunk of lunch meat. And I would go in and tell the butcher, okay, I want a pound and a half of that lunch meat. And he said he would take that great big slab and he would lay it up there and he would begin slicing it off until he got a, a pound and a half and he would put it back in there. And he said it was amazing because when he put it back in the case, it didn't look any differently than he did when he first took it out. But he said I'd go back in there a week later and the lunch meat thing would be down to this long. And he said that's what happens when we're willing to sacrifice our integrity. It comes off one little piece at a time. We agree to be broken. We agree to choose the wrong path. And people are watching. And the first thing you know, our integrity, our completeness, which was this much, somebody walks in and it's been shaved down to this much and everybody knows it but us. Smile at me. How many of you know somebody like that? Yeah. I know they're not here today. I know that, okay? Everybody relax. I know they're not here. But just like that loaf of meat, we can slice off our integrity with making wrong decisions one slice at a time until all of a sudden our integrity is gone. Now, look at verse number four. Skip down to verse four. Okay, we'll come back to verse three in a few minutes, but I want to I tie this in right here. One of the characteristics of a person of integrity, it says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. 
He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You know, one of the things you find, if you're going to be a person of integrity, you have to be able to make distinguishing decisions. You have to understand the contrast of right. This is a right path. This is a wrong path. This is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. I know this is all right, and I know this is a little bit shady, but maybe I can get by with it. That's a mistake. And, and what it says is, now, now notice this. God said, I look for people to hang out with whose eyes despise vile people now listen closely okay god loves sinners but god hates sin okay what this is saying is you're able to look at people watch their lifestyles and realize this is not right therefore i don't like the things that you're doing one of the things the church never needs to lose one of the things god's people never need to lose is our ability to see right and wrong if we ever lose our ability to see right and wrong and know right and wrong and admit what's right and admit what's wrong, the church will begin to die because there's pr pressure from our society right now to give up on everything that we believe. But what distinguishes the people of God is that we know right, we know wrong, and we can distinguish between the two. But the last part of verse 4 says, he swears to his own hurt and does not Change. In other words, a godly person is trustworthy. His walk doesn't change. What he is today, he is tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. He doesn't swerve. He doesn't get out of his lane. He stays in the right lane because he knows what's right and he lives there. Let me put it this way. A godly person walks the walk don't you love friends that walk the walk man i love it because they're trustworthy it doesn't matter what they know about you they can handle it because they're trustworthy proverbs 18 24 and i'll come back to this later but i want i want to drive this home for just a minute proverbs 18 24 the last part of the verse says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother everybody here's got family pretty much I don't have a brother. I have one sister. I don't have any brothers. Never had a brother. But I've got friends in my life who are closer to me than most brothers. If I had a disaster, these guys would come running to my, to my rescue because they're friends who stick closer than a brother. You build those kinds of relationships by finding godly people and being godly people. How do I choose a godly friend? Well, first of all, look at their walk. See if they walk in integrity. Number two, the second thing. It says his works. A godly person is judged by or known by his works, his actions. And his actions, his works, God said they're righteousness. The righteousness. Now, I, I want to dive into this a little bit more. It ties real closely with one. First is the walk, the roads they choose. Number two, the actions along the way, the works that come out along the way. God said his lifestyle is righteous. You know, in church, the word righteous is a word that 
overrides so much stuff that most of us can't even define it. It's a word that almost never gets used except in church. I mean, where do you use the word righteous except in church? You really don't much. Here's my point. When you see the word righteous, you need to take the E-O-U-S off the end of it and understand that God's just saying it's right. It's right. How many of you know that God knows the difference between right and wrong? Okay. And he wants us to know the difference. It says his works are right. Let me, let me put it to you this way. In the original writings, what it literally says is his lifestyle is right. Morally and legally. His lifestyle is right. So not only does he choose right paths, but then the paths that he chooses, the way he walks those paths, the actions along the way, they line up with the path that he's chosen. He doesn't clutter the path with disaster and wrong. He does the things that are right along the way, morally and legally. Now, let me show you a couple of things. Look at verse 5. Same chapter, verse 5. He who does not put out his money is usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. What he's saying here is a person whose actions, whose lifestyle is right, can be trusted because he's honest. Does anybody here have any dishonest friends? Oh, some of you are telling the truth. Okay, let's exclude family. How many, how many? <laughs> dishonest friends? Well, not close friends, but you have acquaintances who are dishonest. See, I have acquaintances who are dishonest, but I don't let people who are dishonest get very close to me because I don't want to do business with them. I don't want them getting involved in my business affairs. Why? Because there's a right way to live. There's a moral, ethical scriptural right way to live there's a legal right way to live and then there's a wrong way to live god says his lifestyle is right you know one of the best ways to know what's going on in somebody is what's the way they handle money it's always been that way always always throughout scripture you see it you show me somebody who's dishonest with money and i'll show you somebody who's dishonest in every area of life if you can't trust them with money, you can't trust them with anything. There's something about money. Money, the love, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You show me somebody that can't get that right, and they can't get anything else right. And here's what gets interesting about this. The Lord said, I, I love a person whose works are right. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 44, a tree is known by its fruits. Whatever a tree produces, that's what it is. It's a peach tree because it produces peaches. It's a plum tree because it produces plums or prunes, whichever way you want to do it. It's an apple tree because it produces apples. Okay, on and on we go. Jesus said your life will be known by what your lifestyle produces. And God said, if the lifestyle's not right, I really don't want them coming hanging at my house because I don't want it polluting my house. Now, I know there's a fine line in there. Well, how are you going to minister to people? How are you going to witness to people? You know what? Let's set that aside for a second because we'll address that on another Sunday. 
But the point is, God wants us to be the kind of people that he said, hey, come on to my house and hang out. And if you'll be that kind of person, everybody you know will want to hang out with you. And I'll show you that from Scripture in a few minutes. Years ago, I was talking with a pastor friend. And he was telling me, man, around town, our church has got this crazy reputation. Da, 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 da. And people say this, and people say this, and people say this. He said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, all I can tell you is generally your reputation is earned. Are you hearing me? You have a reputation because of lifestyle, your works, what you produce with your life. It gives you a reputation. You know, when, when Zach was a kid, he was in uh, elementary school, and Zach hates it when I use him for illustration. So, Zach, stand up this morning. Let everybody give you a good clap before I do this, okay? Come on, stand up, stand up. Stand up give, give. <coughs> he graduated from elementary school. Give him a good hand. He's a good boy. When Zach was in elementary school, he was going to a Christian school, and one of the things that would happen, we'd pick him up from school and ask him, what did you learn at school today? And he would kind of tell us something. You know, I always did that to my kids. What did you learn today? What did you learn today? Because I wonder if they learned anything that day that stuck. And he, sometimes he'd get in the car and tell us this or that. Sometimes he'd say, well, I learned this memory verse today. One day he got in the car, and he's probably in second grade, third grade, something like that. What did you learn today? He's like, I learned a memory verse. I said, really, what was it? And I don't know which translation they were using because it was a little different than the one I used. But basically, he said, even a child is known by his doings. That's in Proverbs, for those of you who didn't know, Proverbs 2011. My translation that I use says, even a child is known by his deeds. In other words, even a child has a reputation based on his lifestyle. How many of you are still trying to outlive your reputation? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. God changes us and it takes a while to live through things and wear through things and establish things differently. But the point I want to make this morning is we earn our reputation by our lifestyle. We can say we're one thing, but our lifestyle is going to tell what we really are. Is it right or is it something else? So how do you choose a godly friend? Watch his or her works. Watch their lifestyle. Watch their deeds. Watch the way they live. How do I become a godly friend? Live a life that exemplifies Jesus to people. Number three, third thing. God said, I also listen to their words. Wow. This is a deep one. This is where you want to be a person that says, well, I just don't have many words to use in a day. Because the more we talk, the more holes we tend to dig for ourselves. Now, I know some of us are wired differently. That's not a put down. But we're judged by our words. We're held, held accountable for things that we say. Now, I want to show you this. It's really interesting. If you, if you go back to the, that second verse and look at it, the God said, God said I, I, I look at people and I choose people based on their words. I look for people who speak the truth in their hearts. Who speak the truth in their hearts. 
He's, he's painting a picture of somebody who puts the truth in their heart, makes their heart line up with the truth, and then everything that comes out of their mouth lines up with truth. That's what he's talking about. And, I, and I'll show you more about this in just a moment. But do you have any idea how important our words are? Man, our words are so important. They're so important. And what it literally says in the original writings, it says a godly person speaks stability. See, I don't, I don't want to hang with people for very long who are constantly throwing instability into my mix of life. I don't need it. Okay? I know where God wants me to go. I'm on that pathway. I don't need people coming up and telling me, well, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. Why are you going that way for? That ain't going to work. Well, God's word tells me to go this way. You know, there's an easier way. There's a shortcut. One of the things that gets us in trouble as believers is shortcuts. Because we don't tell ourselves the truth and then it let it shape everything else that goes on in our lives. We accept a second option. It's interesting. I love these words. He speaks the truth in his heart. Literally what it says is he arranges his words for stability, truth, and trustworthiness in his heart. See, when somebody comes along and they spew out of this ungodliness and all this instability, you know why they do it? It's because that's what's going on inside of them. This is one of those moments when I wish we were an amen in church. <laughs> somebody comes along and blah, 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 negative, 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 ugly, da, 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 on, on. it's because that's what's going on inside of him. God says, I want to hang out with somebody who's got the truth buried in their heart and everything comes out of them is speaking truth, not lies and deception. Not speaking the things the enemy wants to do and believe in what he says he'll do, but speaking the promises of the things that God said he will do. God says, those are the people I want to hang out with. This is good. I'm liking this. I hope some of you are. He speaks the truth in his heart. As a result of that, a godly person becomes stable. And when he speaks to other people, he brings stability into their lives. That's why a godly person can walk into a room where there's turmoil. In a few minutes' time, just him talking, things start settling down. See, that's why Jesus could get up in the middle of the storm when everybody's panicking because the boat's going down, the boat's going down. Oh, God doesn't care for us. And Jesus gets up and says, peace, be still. Everything starts settling. Why? Because he knew the truth in his heart. That's the kind of friend I want. That's the kind of friend I want to be. But here's the thing. We need to learn to get the truth in our hearts. I cannot tell you the importance of having this word buried in your heart. Why? Because it's the truth. And then learning to line your words up with this word. I cannot tell you how much value it brings to your life and to the lives of other people. Now, bear with me just a minute here, okay? I'm going I'm to move on. 
We live in the age of spin when it comes to words. I don't watch much news anymore. I look at a couple different news outlets online, look through what each side says, and I know the truth is probably somewhere in the middle here. Because several years ago in our society, I mean, we even had TV shows about it. From the White House down, everything is spin, 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 spin. Take the truth, spin it to make us look good. Take the truth and spin it and tell a lie. But as long as it makes us look good, the lie works better than the truth. That's the age we're living in. Problem is, once it starts in society, it begins to affect everything going on in society. Well, my wife doesn't need to know the truth. My husband doesn't need to know the truth. My friend doesn't need to know the truth. We start hiding the truth because we spin things. And what happens is there's a war that's going on because we know the truth inside, but we won't let it work in us. And we believe one thing, we're doing one thing, but we're speaking something totally different. And that brings instability to our lives and to the lives of those around us. Got to be careful with this. Here's why. Here's what Jesus said. Luke 6, 45. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure his heart brings forth good. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Here's the words of Jesus. For out of the abundance, the overflow, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what you are? You want to know what's going on inside? Listen to your words when you're under pressure. Not on your best day, on your worst day. What are you saying? On your friend's worst day, what are you saying? Yeah, I gave you the illustration last week about the guy that said, yeah, I got to go to the doctor. I got this dark spot on my arm. Well, yeah, my buddy had one of those and he's dead in seven days. I don't want to be that person and I don't want to hang with that person. Give me some good news. Give me some truth to hang with. Jesus says our words are arranged from within and then they're spoken. When we're under pressure and the heat is on, what's really going on comes out. Proverbs 21 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout all the New Testament, God's always looking at the heart. What are the choices? What are the decisions? What do you believe down at your core? Way down deep inside, what are you building your life on? Because what's going on inside is going to come out our mouths sooner or later. And God judges what's going on in here. In other words, we may, we may go to church See all the right things at church, but as soon as we get out the door and we take off the tie and we, we change clothes, it's like I'm a whole different person because I'm out of church for at least one more week. And here's the real me. See, God knows the real you because he knows who's winning the war in here. He knows what's ruling your heart. And, and here's the thing. We can convince ourselves we're right. What does this say? What does this say? 
Look at verse 3. Now, I told you I'd come back to verse 3. Here's where verse 3 ties in. God says, here's the kind of person I like to hang with. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. We're talking about words, and I'm almost finished for those of you who are uncomfortable. That's probably watching online. Nobody here in the building would be that way. <laughs> but the words of a godly person are sincere. The words of a godly person are sincere. Regardless of how their personality delivers it, a godly person is a sincere person and will speak sincere words. And, and the best way I know to say it is, Godly people are peacemakers, not troublemakers. You know, I don't know how people live it, live who, who live their lives when, when they've always got to have a war going on with somebody. Holy cow, I know somebody like that. And I dread it every time my phone rings because I'm going to hear about the latest battle. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Peacemakers. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, sometimes you got to make peace to have peace. But the point is, once peace is made, you know how to live. You know how to weigh your words and say the right thing the right way to keep peace in a relationship. And you know what? Christian people need to learn how to make peace and keep peace and stop creating, creating explosions in relationships. Come on, somebody, give me an amen. amen. Proverbs twenty two eleven says, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. You want to be friend with the king? You need to have purity in your heart and grace on your lips. You want to have lots of friends? Have purity in your heart and grace on your lips. Amen. That's the kind of friend I'm looking for. That's the kind of friend I want to be. The words of a godly person are truthful. They tell you the truth. They're honest. Proverbs 27, 7 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If a friend tells you the truth and it hurts a little bit, if you know they love you and they're their friend, don't get angry at them. Think through what they're saying and try to work through it before you respond. Proverbs 27, 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. You know what talking about? Flattery. Don't be a flatterer. Don't just throw out compliments falsely. Oh, you look great today. Oh, did you see her? She looks so horrible. Oh, man, I love that suit. He looked like he bought that down at the, at the secondhand store where Pastor Corey shops. <laughs> oh, that hurt, didn't it? He only, he only shops there for special occasions. <laughs> Don't flatter people. Tell the truth in love. Here's another one. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, 
But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Did you know a godly person can keep a confidence? If you can't keep confidence, you're not going to have many friends. If somebody says, you know, I need to talk to you about something, and I'm going to ask you, you don't say anything to anybody. If you can't keep confidence, just say, you know, well, the truth is, I'm probably going to tell somebody, so you might want to keep it to yourself. <laughs> oh, you know I would never tell anybody. Oh, did you know what so-and-so just told me? A godly person can keep confidence. Godly people have a heart to cover people's failures, not expose them. Can I tell you something today? I don't care what's in your past. I don't care what's behind you. If it's under the blood of Jesus, it's dead, it's gone in God's sight. I feel the same way. The church needs to feel the same way. And we need to take a position that says, I will protect you. And I'm not going to talk about your failures to anybody because I've got them too. Amen. Doesn't matter. A godly person keeps confidence and doesn't gossip. I remember when I was a kid, preachers used to preach about gossips. You don't hear much about gossip anymore. That's because you got TMZ and all these other shows on TV that you can get the latest on everybody. If it's nasty and it's in the news, we'll know about it real soon. We need to learn how to keep confidence and not blab everything we know. Years ago, many years ago, before I ever came on staff here, I knew this woman who was the sweetest lady you've ever met in your life. Everybody loved her. But she had one real close little circle of friends, but she had, she was everybody's friend, but she had a real tight little circle of friends. And this was the sweetest woman in the world. But everything she heard about everybody, she carried it back to her little circle. And one day, things started happening in a situation. And come to find out, this woman knew everything about everybody in her church, knew everything going on. And nobody knew it except her little circle of friends. But it began to leak out here and leak out there because, well, I can tell you because I know you won't tell anybody. Well, I can tell you because I know you won't tell anybody. Well, I can tell you because I know the first thing you know, 75% of the people know. And when it gets exposed, everybody knows where it came from. Now, I know I love you guys because none of you would ever do that. So I appreciate that today. But the point is, God says, you know what? If you can't sit on things that need to be covered, if you can't keep from exposing other people's faults and sins, then I don't want to hang with you because I know too much about too many people. We need to have the same heart and the same attitude. Last thing. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Did you know a godly person can give you good counsel? You can trust them. They'll give you good counsel. If they don't know, they'll tell you, I don't know. Find somebody that knows. I don't know. If you got a good friend, you're going to get good advice. If you got a godly friend, you're going to get godly advice. And in closing, I want to read to you from Ecclesiastes 4. And I think we'll have the verses on the screen. I'm going to read along quickly. 
Because here's the point. We all need godly friends. We all need godly friends. I need godly friends. But we all need to be godly friends. Here's what it says. I'm going to move quickly. Verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two things in closing. We all need to be that kind of friend. As a matter of fact, you need two or three good friends. Some of you only got one friend in the world. You need at least two, maybe three, because a threefold cord is not easily broken. The more friends you've got to gather around you in time of trial, the stronger you're going to be. But then we also need to learn to be those kind of people who can stand with others, not only in the good times, but also in the challenging times. And the last thing, the second part of this, I mentioned it earlier, Proverbs says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's talking of natural relationships, a natural friend who will be there even when family isn't. But can I just turn that into the spiritual for just a moment? There's another friend who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. I'm going to be there for you. That's Jesus. Amen. That's Jesus. And, and I need to close quickly, but I, I got to say this in closing. I felt so strong during worship today. There's some people in the house today. You're hurting. You, you need help. You don't know where to go. First, go to Jesus. There's no friend like Jesus. And second of all, make some godly friendships. But I want to pray for you this morning because you might be here and maybe you've never made your peace with God. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing, you know what, there's truth in everything that's been shared here. That's just a part of God's Word. But can I tell you the foundational truth that we believe as Christians? We believe that we were lost in our sins and separated from God, but God sent his own son to earth. He lived a sinless life, and God put him on a cross to pay for our sins so that you and I could become a part of God's family. God is willing to move away and forgive all your sins if you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And it all begins with, with words, a prayer saying, God, I need you and help me. I don't want to give you religion, but I'd love you to help or love to help get you in relationship with God today. I'd love to help you begin that relationship. It starts with a prayer. I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to lead you in this prayer and give you a chance to open your heart to Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about my words. It's not superstition. It's simply a prayer from the heart. Just wrap your heart around these words. Wrap your faith around this prayer. Let's pray together. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Change me from the inside out. 
Forgive me of my sin. I want to come into relationship with you. I ask Jesus to become my Savior. I'll make him the Lord of my life. I will follow you. I will learn your ways. And I will become your friend. From this day forward, you're my heavenly father. I'm your child. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Amen. Before we change the order of service, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you're just the prodigal and you've been on the run for a while, not been walking with God, we want to give you a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's really simple reading. It'll help you start building that relationship with God. When service is over, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with any person for any need. If you just walk down to the front and say, hey, can I get one of the booklets? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you want to get it and go, that's fine. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they're here to pray with you. Let us give you this booklet and help you get started walking with God. If you're in a really big rush, there's a counter set up just as you leave the building through the glass doors right in the middle there. You can see the sign. talks about beginning your walk with God. You can get the same booklet there if you just walk up and ask for it. Let us give it to you before you leave today. God bless you. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? God bless you today.